This episode is sponsored by Metrio. Metrio is an ESG reporting software that simplifies the collection, analysis, and communication of your ESG data. You can meet them at Greenfin 2021. For more information, please visit metrio.net forward slash Greenfin. From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, new models for companies to invest in communities, the roundabout world of circular metrics, why food companies need to double down on both sustainability and health, and an open letter to CPG companies on recycling. It's a package deal this week on 350. It's April 9th, 2021. Welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. Joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey is Green Biz Editorial Director and its newly minted Vice President, Heather Clancy. (laughs) Miss Clancy, congratulations on your recent promotion. That's exciting. You're Thank you a, very a heartbeat much. away from something. I don't know what the vice president <laughs> of Green Biz actually means, but you are I'm one. I'm a Veep. I'm you're, a Madam Veep. <laughs> you're a Madam Veep, a sitcom to follow on HBO anytime, sometime soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. Duly deserved as uh, after your many years of not just extraordinary uh, uh, writing and, and managing, but leadership in the company, not just in the editorial team. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you. What's up with you this week? Oh, there's not a question you're going to ask me that doesn't begin with the answer Greenfin 21. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's our uh, our ESG and sustainable finance event happening next week, Tuesday and Wednesday. I had a uh, more intimate role in developing this than I have with any Green Biz event in the past decade. So... Uh, I feel very close to this, and um, I'll be uh, hosting it as well. And uh, I have to say, really excited about what we've created here in terms of the caliber of the speakers, the range of topics, and as we as as the registration is 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 in full swing still, that's going great. The caliber of the audience, uh, a lot of uh, the types of people that we typically at GreenBiz haven't necessarily interacted with, uh, particularly on the investor side, but also on some of the other, the ratings and rankings organizations that, you know, uh, credit ratings and things on around using ESG. So um, it's going to be a really interesting week. And that's, of course, the whole point is bringing together the, the corporate sustainability folks with the corporate finance folks, with the investors and asset owners and managers and the sustainable finance organizations, aka banks, and, um, <laughs> and 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 bring them together because they're all you know working in this area and they're not necessarily working together. And in some cases, they need to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to. It. I'm 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 also looking forward to. I think we have some some fun green production values uh, coming. Right, uh, our virtual events are getting better and better and more engaging with 
with every moment. We have such a great creative team. So I'm looking forward to uh, drinking it in, if you will. Really excited. Yeah. So it's still, uh, we'll be live streaming. There'll be uh, 75 minutes, an hour and a quarter each day, Tuesday and Wednesday of main stage. That'll be live streamed uh I think quite openly, you don't need to register or anything uh, on greenbiz.com. And of course, it's not too late to register. We've got, uh, you know, 120 speakers over 50 sessions, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, gender and, and smart investing and uh, the role of diversity, equity, inclusion to uh, to financing the, the clean energy transition. And, oh, I don't want to get into all of it. It's just a lot. Just check it out on the greenbiz.com website. You'll see the program in depth and uh, hope you can be there next week. But let's go stick with this week and check out the Week in Review. I would love to start us with this wonderful open letter to CPG companies on recycling uh, by Raina Bryan president of RCD Packaging Innovation. And, and Joel, I know you edited this piece, so I, I'd love to know a little bit more about her in a moment. But I, this was such an intriguing idea for me um, on why we need to be rethinking what the definition definition is of recyclable might might be in the future. And she, she does a really good job of talking about why uh, the, this collective universe of people that are trying to address the plastics and packaging issue need to focus more on the end markets, um, not just can you recycle this stuff, but who is being who is buying the recycled stuff? And I, I just loved her her notion that we really need to make that part of 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 that word that that you can't call something recyclable unless there is an end market. Her idea is that a material can be labeled as recyclable only if an end market exists for over 60% of the material ending, entering the system. Just love that idea. Um, but t- give me the backstory on this, Joel. As I know you had handled this edit. I, I don't know where the story came from or it's about her. Yeah, so well, I, do, I do know Rena, and uh, she's heads a uh, packaging innovation company that uh, works with uh, brands on uh, materials and design of, of sustainable packaging and has become a, a leader in this space and certainly an outspoken one. And drafted this uh, open letter. It, it, it really, in some ways, is a, in, in a take away nothing from Rena on this. It's sort of a duh kind of thing. Like, wh- why wouldn't we have a def- definition of what does it mean to be recyclable? We've had this problem for 30 years now of folks calling something recyclable, which it technically is. But if one can't recite, recycle it in one's community, then obviously it's not. And so... Yeah, just having this definition that it could be recyclable, it could be labeled that way if only if at least sixty percent of households have access to collecting that material, would probably remove the recyclable labeling on. I would just guess uh, over half of the products that it, say it, or maybe even eighty percent, because mm-hmm. so many of these materials aren't easily recyclable by most people, and you know it really as much as anything speaks to the power of language, uh, that these a fairly mm-hmm. simple change, I'm sure nothing simple in, in, in this political environment, uh, but a fairly s- simple relative to so many other things that need to be changed, 
could have a dramatic impact on uh, pushing companies to say, okay, now we have to have it really recyclable. We can't just say that. We need to therefore look at the materials and how it's designed and, and, and what happens to it, uh, what the consumer can do with it at the end of its, uh, its useful life. So, I mean, this is just... Uh, you know, putting it out there and uh, trying to get a bandwagon effect going on. The uh, Federal Trade Commission, which has defined uh, a number of, of green marketing terms, including recyclable, uh, that's that's who this is aimed for. Is trying to get the FTC to 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 adopt this this new language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love the I love the idea, and uh, I. One of the things that I have to say that I, I I don't know how often you have conversations with with neophytes in this space, but a lot of my relatives and so forth ask me about things like this. You know, what does this mean? This recyclable term? And I had a conversation with someone just this past week about why a, I was excited about a particular package because this package, um, in, in, the, in the case of my household, it was a Windex bottle that had been made from ocean-bound plastic. Like the the bottle was actually made. S.C. Johnson had through Plastic Bank had actually used this in the bottle. And I thought and I thought that was pretty cool. And they didn't understand the nuance of that and why it was so important. So anyway, love, love this idea. Love to see traction. And in sort of a similar vein, there is this story from Priyanka Srinivas, uh, the founder and CEO of the Live Green Company, um, about food companies and the need for them to uh, to not just choose healthy or sustainable, but to go for both. And and she talks a lot about a number of, of healthy plant-based alternatives to eggs, for example, one particular product made from mung beans that is sold in unrecyclable, <laughs> there we go again, uh, packaging or, or <laughs> packaging that, that is deemed to be uh, not the best from an environmental perspective. And so, you know, there tends to be companies optimize for let's make this healthy and then the packaging, people who care about healthy, maybe I, I guess they say don't care about packaging. I'm not sure that's the case. I think people are now caring a, uh, for about a lot of different aspects of the products they buy. Mm-hmm. So what did, what did you take away from this, Heather? Well, so you t- you talked about one aspect of it. There's also the flip, the, 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 the companies that are really focusing on the sustainability of the of the supply and of the product and you know how how it's how it's put together and so forth but yeah but on the flip side the the food the food itself isn't that healthy it's 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 high in sodium or saturated fat and she she takes a, a poke at some of the uh, plant-based burger companies with that one boy is this a hard problem you know like you want you want to give companies credit for doing the right thing and but yet it's such a complex issue that that unless they think about it holistically, they can't just think about it on one dimension. So I, I thought it was I just I, I agree. Um, she she also talked about how to use uh, artificial intelligence, right, to find some of the alternatives in both packaging and in, in her particular case, ingredients to to make sure that you can speed up some of these decisions. So, yeah, it's a good story. I thought yeah. um, very relevant too. Yeah, and and on that flip side of optimizing for sustainability but not health, there's a annual, a huge, huge uh, expo that takes place actually both on the east and west coast in, in different times of the year. I've been spoken at the west coast. It's called uh, Expo West. It's put on by the uh, natural products industry. Um, I mean, they take over massive, uh, multiple massive uh, uh, expo halls in Anaheim, California. 
sustainability is a is a huge thing there in terms of uh, the sourcing uh, of the materials and uh, the chocolates and the coffees and and so many of the grains and other things and so many alternative protein kinds of things and you walk down the aisles and it's it's really quite fun because you're 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 getting samples of everything and of course I always go for the dark chocolate but so many of these foods are high in saturated fats, high in calories, uh, high in carb. You know, just it's salt in some cases. Mm-hmm. They're just not. Yeah. You, it's it's not the healthiest food for people. It may be for the planet, but not for people. And and I think that's uh, you know trying to to make sure that we're dealing with both. It, it sort of becomes a you know back and forth and around and around. Is it healthy? Is it sustainable? Can it be both? And that's the interesting part. But. Let's go to our third story. Speaking of going around and around, <laughs> it is about uh, the metrics used uh, to assess the circular economy. This comes mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Brendan Egerton, at the, uh, who is the director of circular economy at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, and Helen Metz, uh, who's an executive VP at uh, a company called DSM Materials. Um, and, and looking at, you know, it's just a really interesting thing we talk about you know, circularity and circular economy and cradle to cradle of closing the loop. Question is, as is true with so many things in sustainability, is how do we measure it and track it and assess progress over time? Uh, how do you measure circularity? W- what are those metrics? And, and and it's it's not just academic stuff. If we're, you know, companies need to understand this, they're, they're they need to understand, uh, you know, what they're optimizing for, how to measure it, how to communicate that, uh, and then uh, from that, you know, come the 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 BHAG goals. You know, we want to be a hundred percent circular uh, over over time. The the big hairy audacious goals, and uh, and and the investors who who are now holding more and more companies accountable or, or tying financing. Uh, from bank financing to circular goals. Um, and then, you know, the public sector uh, in terms of the standards that are set and and in some comp- countries there may be some uh, regulations or, or uh, requirements about things being circular. So it's just a fascinating area. It's one of the things that, you know, we don't think about that much, uh, uh, even in the industry as we talk about, you know, how do we make a product circular and how do we get from here to circularity? But to do that, we have to all be able to measure it so we all can agree on what we're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I also, it just made me think of our, our, our love affair with reporting, right? And, and, and how, how many different flavors it, companies have to talk about their uh, ESG metrics and, and, and are they sustainable and what does that mean? And what about biodiversity? You know, what about nature-based impacts and so forth? But um, I... I appreciated this piece because it gave a lot of really great examples. Uh, I, you know, IKEA and Microsoft have some some specific things that they've done that could be of interest to companies that are trying to do, you know, figure out how to do this internally. Uh, they started out with something very digestible like products, right? That that's how they're looking at it um, to get started. And I also, of course, the the author, uh, World Business Council for Sustainable Development has its own metrics um, that it's a framework that is created. So there's uh, some information on that that I appreciate. So it's, it's just this, this story is chuck full of resources to get for ideas. Um, so that's the other reason I would point to it. Um, but other than that, I don't know that I have all that much more to add other than this is something that will be required um, 
to get to the place we want to go. So we need to get moving. And it takes us back to our first story about the how do you define recycling? You know, this is all part of the the, the metrics and assessment so that we have to get all of these things uh, past the arm wave stage saying it's a circular or we're a circular company or this is a you know circular model uh, or this is recyclable or uh, any, any number of things or this is healthy or sustainable could go to the other story. Uh, we need not just the definitions, but increasingly we need the metrics. So there we have it. We've now come full circle. Last spring, GreenBiz Group teamed up with leadership development firm Wholeworks to introduce the Leading the Sustainability Transformation Professional Certificate Program. The heart of the 10-week-long course is a simulation that requires participants to apply with their learning to decisions for a new manufacturing site for a fictitious international paper company. The first two sessions of the program have wrapped up but two new ones are on the calendar for this year, one starting in late April and one set for September. Here to chat about what we've learned during the first two sessions is John Davies, Senior Vice President and Senior Analyst with Green Biz Group. Hey, John. Hey, Heather. Nice to see you. It's awesome to see you. So let's start with a level set. Who is the program for and how does the simulator work? Yeah, so the program is for people who have, you know, five to 10 years work experience, but not really people who are in the sustainability roles themselves, but rather from across the organization. So in the cohort that I was in, they break it down into eight to 10 people per cohort. And the group I was in had people from packaging, from R&D, from operations, and so we all take different roles. There are about eight roles that are corporate. You know, there's an SVP of South American operations. There's an EHS director. There's a sales and marketing coordinator. There's an HR function. But then there's also one person who plays the role of an NGO and another who plays the role of mayor of the mm -hmm. town of Mercedes mm -hmm. in Uruguay. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's just step back. So that's where the project is set. Like, tell us a little bit more about how this is set up. Right. It's, it's set in at Rio Negro Bioproducts in Mercedes, Uruguay. And it goes across a 20-year span. So it's a 10-week course. Every week, we're, we're making decisions for two years out as to how to invest, um, what kind of projects to take on. Should we develop new products? Uh, and it's a really, really robust simulation. And then, you know, there are always some unexpected things that happen because you're talking about a 20-year time span. So the 20, the unexpected things that happen, are they thrown in by the instructors or something as curveballs or what? I signed an oath that I wouldn't say anything about <gasps> those things. So, <laughs> no <laughs> wow, no okay. secrets are going to be leaked on, on this. But the, I think one of the things that's really great, like... Um, it's also asynchronous. So, you know, there's learning modules each week. Um, so the first one is all around financial metrics, you know, re return on invested capital and things like that. Then there's a, a session on various sustainability frameworks, on leadership development, on teamwork. And so those you do by yourself, but then 
we got together twice a week just to uh, negotiate what we were going to invest in because we each had our own budgets. And but there was a cap as to how much the overall budget could be. And so you'd have to negotiate with people as to where to do that spend. And then when we all agreed, you press a button and bingo, you find out which of the 30 triple bottom line metrics you actually had an impact mm. on. Mm. Now you mentioned you were part of a cohort. So what did you uh, learn or what, how were your, how was your uh, thinking changed? Well, uh, a few times we uh, sort of got into a group think situation with certain decisions. And then one person raised their hand and said, I don't think we're approaching this decision right. And we had to sort of retrench and figure out, yeah, maybe that's not the best decision to make and, and really negotiate how we're going to do that. So, you know, not, un not unlike real world business. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned when we were chatting ahead of time, um, being particularly intrigued by what you were calling the capstone projects, right? So there was like, I guess, a long-term homework assignment, if you will. What can you share about that? Well, that's the part I didn't really understand going into it. And just to, to sort of be clear, I sort of thought, if we're going to partner with Wholeworks, I should really try this course and sure. see, are we adding value? Is this really something that our green biz listeners are going to be interested in. And um, this was the part I didn't fully understand going in that over the course of the 10 weeks, you're doing little projects, but at the end, the goal is to have a capstone project, which is, is a project you're going to end up proposing within your company to have an impact for a new initiative. And so um, I thought that was really fascinating. And for example, there's a company, Griffith Foods, who had eight different people in various cohorts. There were, I don't know, six cohorts, I think. And, uh, you know, I got to review about three or four of their proposals that they're going to now take into their executive management. And they're really good proposals. And they're all very triple bottom line focused. And so the other day I was talking with Kathy Pickus, who's their CSO, and she talked about just why they're putting so many people through this is they really want to scale sustainability at the company. And this, you know, they can't send everyone off for two-year MBAs. This is like a 10-week 10, 10 MBA mm -hmm. in sustainability. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just thought the projects were fascinating. Now, it says you, it, you have to have five to 10 years of experience. Is that, was that, is that a hard requirement or is that what's advised? It's, it's a pretty hard requirement because okay. you're there with other people who have business experience. So this isn't really focused for a recent graduate. Right. It's really someone who's been in the business, understands, you know, at least some aspects of the business. But, you know, it's, it's intense. It's, you know, definitely 10 to 15 hours a week that you're going to do. You know, a lot of us were doing it on the weekend when we could slot in uh, some time to focus on the, on the modules. Now, it sounds like you're uh, seeing a lot more than just your cohort though. Were you, do you, are you participating in reviewing the projects at, at the end or just for that, just for your one class? Actually at the end um, that you randomly get assigned three projects from anybody else throughout the, the course to sort of provide them with feedback and, oh, and review them. 
And then you can also, and I did go in and start looking at all the projects from that particular group. You know, I think there were 50 or 60 projects that I happened to go through and a bunch on regenerative ag, um, Hmm. some on packaging, some on renewable energy. Uh, So it it was fascinating. Wow. So we know there's more... uh sessions coming up. So what's the call to action for our listeners or for Green Biz readers? Well, I know it's it's a little late in the game, but we have a, a cohort starting um, that in April where you have to register by April 12th. So that's just a couple of days away, maybe not, you know, uh, in time for that, but then another cohort um, where you have to register by September 6th. And what I think is most interesting is this is a way to really help people in your organization understand how can they contribute to the sustainability program and when they're not in the sustainability department or team. Mm. Great. Well, it sounds like our listeners should advise their peers to sign up <laughs> and, and their, their coworkers. Thanks, John, for dropping by to Green Biz 350. Thanks, Heather. It's a pleasure as always. You just heard from John Davies, Senior Vice President and Senior Analyst with Green Biz Group. Next week at Greenfin 21, among the things we'll be talking about is community investing. In particular, how companies can work with financial institutions to lend money to local women and minority-led businesses. And here to talk more about that is one of our Greenfin 21 speakers, Catherine Berman, the CEO of CNote. Hi, Kat. Hi, Joel. Thanks for having me. So first of all, give us the elevator pitch on CNote. What is it? Sure. CNote is a woman-owned, woman-led impact investment platform. We make it easier for large institutions like corporations to invest in low-income communities and communities of color. The the genesis of CNOTE really goes back to my time when I was managing director at a publicly traded financial services company. And it's during that time that I observed that health gap in the United States had grown to historic proportions. And so I left that company and started CNOTE with a colleague of mine to make it easier for investors, specifically individuals and large institutions, to step up and, and play a role in closing the wealth gap. So talk a little bit about the problem that you're trying to solve. Why is this so hard for companies to give money away locally? Or not giving money, but I guess investing locally. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I identified early in my journey is even those well-intentioned institutions encounter a lot of friction when they try to make a community investment or a community deposit. Even starting with Who do you go to and how do you do this? Um, I speak to countless treasurers who will say, I've been on the phone with 10 different minority deposit institutions and none of them will take my deposits. Or I've tried to contact four different community development financial institutions or CDFIs and I just can't get any who have a structure to take my dollars. And so as much as there's really well-intentioned institutions and really incredible community lenders and deposit institutions, there has been a serious lack of infrastructure for years to make it easy for both of those parties to play well with each other. And that's truly what we solve at CNOTE, is we use the power of technology and a community-first approach to make it very easy for corporations to step into community investing and to mobilize 
uh, millions of uh, investments and deposits in a way not only easy for them, but also really meaningful for those communities. We like to say we put the community first and make sure that we're mobilizing money in a way that's truly helpful um, and scalable for those communities. So walk us through uh, maybe a typical transaction. A company says, I've got 5 million, 10 million or a million or whatever the amount is. Uh, and what do you actually do in terms of how does that make it easier uh, for them to invest in? How do they know what they're going to be investing in? How are they going to know what the impact is? Talk a little bit about what's sort of uh, under the behind the curtain there. Sure. Well, I'll start with we take a very much uh, partnership approach with our corporate partners. And it starts with what do you care about? What do your employees care about? What is your corporation value? You know, what are you looking to achieve? And whether that's an investment in racial justice, whether that's really wanting to support Black-led communities through minority deposit institutions, or whether perhaps that's climate justice, right? How can part of their cash or fixed income really um, support efforts around climate justice? So we start with understanding what are they looking to achieve from a, from a theme or from an impact. And then we talk about the various options. Um, we're lucky at C-Note that we have created a nationwide network of community lenders and community deposit institutions. So when corporations partner with us, they're getting exposure to thousands of different types of community lenders and community deposit institutions, as opposed to the, the three or five that they may have been introduced or, or have heard of. And so with that, we can really align their you know, thematic return um, you know, scale objectives with what's actually happening in those communities and, and where the needs are. Really practically speaking, Joel, um, we have a very, very efficient process. One of the things that um, that at CNO we're very conscious of is for many of the treasurers and CFOs we work with, this is not their day job, right? They're managing billions, if not trillions of dollars. And so to suddenly mobilize dollars into community in a thoughtful way, is something they're really excited about, but also can be full of, of burden and, and administrative um, nightmares. And so we take them through this step-by-step -step simple process to take away a lot of that headache off their plate and then bring to them this kind of packaged um, dashboard so that they can see all of their investments um, in one place they can see all of their transactions on a single dashboard, and then they can decide, right, what they want to do in terms of moving more money into a certain theme or moving um, more dollars into a certain community. So last fall, I couldn't help but notice a uh, pretty impressive uh, press release that uh, MasterCard had uh, deployed $20 million through CNote. Um, to do what? Talk a little bit about what that's about and, and, and is that a typical kind of transaction, a typical kind of relationship? What is uh, MasterCard doing with CNOTE? MasterCard is a, is a great example of one of our corporate partners who came to us with that similar ask of, I want to see more financial inclusion across the United States. I want to mo mobilize dollars into communities of color and particularly into the hands of Black entrepreneurs. How do I do that at scale? How do I do that efficiently in a way that is not going to be a burden on my internal team, but is actually going to produce meaningful, measurable impact? So we worked with MasterCard to understand those objectives. They decided they want to move, wanted to move about 20 million of their corporate deposits into low-income communities and communities of color. 
And so we used CNote's Promise account technology to do exactly that, to help number number one, identify which are those uh, minority deposit institutions and mission-driven deposit institutions um, that would best fit with those thematic um, needs, which of the deposit institutions needed their deposits, because in a, you know, a liquid environment, you want to make sure you're matching supply and demand. And then that was just kind of part one of identification. The second piece of our technology is opening those accounts. You can imagine when you're mobilizing 20, 40, 50 million dollars, you're not talking about opening two accounts, and in this case, 40 to 80 accounts. Um, and so with our um, streamlined efforts, we're able to open all of those accounts for MasterCard to save them that burden move those dollars again safely and securely, and then have one single dashboard. So now MasterCard only has one place where they can track all of their deposits as well as get impact reporting. And I will tell you, Joel, I think that's one of the highlights of, of our work is the ability to really see how your money's going to work. For many of our corporate partners, it's not just about, you know, let's put money in the market and say we did it. They want to be proud and, and share the impact they're having. And that means timely impact reporting, impact reporting that they can share internally um, with their team, but also impact reporting that they can share with their employees. Um, because believe it or not, their employees care a lot about these social justice efforts and, and are also proud to know that they're working for a corporation that's moving money into communities of color. And then, of course, doing things like MasterCard did, which even shared some of this exciting work with their clients and their stakeholders. So there's a lot you can do once you get that going. And we just try to make it much more efficient, thoughtful, um, and measurable so corporations into this world. Well, I'll look forward to that conversation next week at Greenfin 21 with MasterCard and Morgan Stanley talking more about uh, not just C-Note, but about the whole arena of community investing by companies. Catherine Berman is co-founder and CEO of C-Note and one of more than 100 speakers at next week's Greenfin 21 event. Uh, thanks so much, Kat. See you next week. Thanks so much. Look forward to it. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to find out more about the organization's stories and events we mentioned this week. While you're there, check out our free e-newsletters. We publish seven of them every single week. Go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters and you'll learn more about them. Love to hear from you. We welcome your comments, questions, and tips. Email us at 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week from Greenfin 21 with another edition of Greenbiz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Greenbiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Metrio. Tired of all the effort required to build your ESG report? Do like their 80 clients and use Metrio to save time and money, allowing you to focus on what matters. For more information, please visit metrio.net.